Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. So, hey, Truman, thanks for calling in today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm, it's such a it's such a pleasure to be on your, your podcast. I'm really oh, cool. So I think we should start by having you introduce yourself and your company to the folks who are listening in. Yes. Hello, Alpha listeners. <laughs> My name is Truman McGee. I am owner and head role master at Funky Fresh Spring Rolls. Where are Funky Fresh Spring Rolls? We sell non-traditional gourmet spring rolls, handcrafted with fresh and local ingredients, never deep fried, but grilled or baked in healthier oils. So currently we sell our rolls at farmer's markets, festivals, and we just opened a storefront this year and looking to get our stuff, our, our good stuff, uh, frozen into grocery stores in 2019, 2020. Wow. So that's a, that's an audacious path you've got there um and having when i first met you i wouldn't have thought that you would ever be able to manage it and now i can totally see you doing it so yeah yeah i totally see it so so let's go back to the beginning here when you were thinking about like how did you get into the spring roll business to you know like what prompted you to do that well yeah, it was more of a, a series of things that happened to get me to that point. And um, I think the first thing was me being at this point in my life where something needed to change, and I just wasn't fulfilled. I wasn't happy in life, and um, I just needed a, a drastic change. So uh, even before that, though, the love for cooking, the love for food has always been there. Even at uh, even as a five, six-year-old, I remember... My mom let me, you know, experiment, make scrambled eggs, or she would let me go into her cookbooks and make different stuff. And I, I used to love, like, school lunches, and I used to love, like, the chicken nugget day and the chicken patty day. And mm-hmm. I would, like, make my own versions of that, like, at home. And I loved that. I thought that was, it was just fun just creating stuff. So mm-hmm. the, the creator has been in me since a young age. Right. You know, and then... um. When I got into high school, I still was interested into in being into the culinary field. They were being a chef, and um, I wrestled for the school called Milwaukee Plus, or excuse me, Milwaukee Tech. And uh, Tech was a trade school, so they push you to get into different trades. Even though I wanted to be a chef, you know, the construction or the construction recruiters would come in and talk to the kids like, "You don't want to be a chef. You work long hours. You won't get to party on a weekend." And yeah. as a year old, I'm like, "Party on a weekend? Um, you could x that out, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. You know, not thinking of the longer, longer uh, vision of it." So I got into construction. And I did that for about 10 years. I just wasn't happy. I gained a bunch of weight. I gained, like, roughly 120 pounds oh from high goodness. school into 28. I gained, I gained a, a whole eighth grader. You know? Oh, so, no. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Like, just, you know. That's a lot of weight to be carrying around. Uh, yeah, a whole human being, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's definitely a lot of weight. And um, that way affected me in more ways than you than I thought, you know, like when just coming up as a 21 year old, you know, when I, I, I recognized the patterns of me just excessively eating and I love to cook. So I will always be cooking, you know, all different types of stuff. And my chicken patty fetish from being a six year old right. ca- carried over to 22. So I was like, Oh, I could make two chicken patties now, or I could put bacon on it, put, you know, this, this pile that, that you know, on. Yeah. Pile it high, you know, and, and, the, and the weight came on and, you know, making decent money and you single, no kids, and you just eat, you know. Mm-hmm. So at, at the age of 28, you know, I was at my heaviest. I was about 300 pounds. And, mm-hmm. I, and more than anything, I was, just wasn't happy. I was tired of the construction work. It was be laid off, work six months, be off two months, work three months, be off four months, you know. Of that routine in around 2011, you know, around the time the economy, the economy was, you know, I don't know if it's at its peak or it's, it's on the way out. I think it's on the way out, but just kind of tired of being laid off. So, um, one of the last days I worked my construction job, I realized uh, 
I, I, I became a journeyman in like 8 a.m. in the morning. It's like December 22nd, 2011. I won't, I won't forget it. I, I got awarded my journeyman card, which pretty much means you're like a, uh, you get a master's degree in whatever field you are in. I was in heat mm-hmm. and air conditioning. And the same day I got laid off, they said, well, oh, no. I'll work for you to get laid off. Like the same day. And I just kind of, you know, I try not to usually take it personal because I understand, like, it's not personal business, but I took it personal. You know, I did. I made all these other steps to, you know, be, you know, to make myself more of a solid worker. I bought a truck. I bought more tools, you know, my own money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just it, it just kind of felt like a punch to the gut. So at around the same time, I was coaching uh, wrestling. So, um Two of my former wrestlers, I was coaching at Milwaukee Pulaski, two of my former wrestlers from Milwaukee Tech had won state championships that year, you know. And mm. um, that just motivated me. It's actually in Madison every year they do the state tra- championship. Right, yeah. And I, and that just motivated me so much. Like, these kids are 17 years old, and they're, like, living their dreams out. Yeah. You know, 17, and I, at the time I'm 28, I'm laid off, I'm heavy, I'm not happy, I'm mentally, physically, emotionally just not there, you know. And um, mm-hmm. I say, you know, I need to make a change. So after the season, March 1st came, 2012, I decided that that's going to be the changing point in my life. Like, I'm going to reclaim my life. I'm going to do what makes me happy. But first, I need to get this weight up off me, you know. So we right. were always, you know, I think as we, as we become adults and, you know, as we live our busy lives, we always make a – make a change that Monday is going to be this day. Monday is like the special day, it's a magical day where everything's going to end, everything's going to, you know, change right away. And this time I was serious. In the past, I, I treat Monday, working hard Monday, Tuesday, motivated. Wednesday, I'll be back at Wendy's. That was literally, <laughs> <laughs> that's literally been my, um, my pattern for all those years. But this year it was a different, right? So, um, March 1st, 2012, I said, I'm changing, and I did. I started, like, eating more leafy green vegetables, more just more green stuff all together, more leaner protein. You know, I didn't eat no fast food, just a lot of the basic stuff that we all know, that, but mm-hmm. I just really applied it, right? So three months later, I found myself, like, 40 pounds less, and I was just, like, so happy where I was. Mm-hmm. You know, and I still laid off, though, still collecting unemployment. Right. But just having the time of my life, you know, and I realized, you know what, maybe I should chase this. Maybe I should get into personal training. It's similar to coaching wrestling, and I'm having so much fun. I would love to help other people who struggle like me. So but a buddy of mine gave me a tractor tire, and we would do these little tire workouts, I would call them. And, and it's just literally tough. You flip tires, you jump through them, everything. And one day this lady came up to me like, what are you, what are you guys doing? Like, just super freaked out because we were sweating and everything. Flipping right. the tire, big check on the kill. And I jokingly said, we're getting tired, you know, and laughed. But it was, that was it. I'm like, that's the name of the business. I'm going to name it Getting Tired Fitness because we're getting tired mentally. We're getting tired physically. And it's just a great mantra to live in. Whenever someone's tired of something in their life, that's when something needs to change, right? Mm-hmm. So that was it. So I started Getting Tired Fitness. The summer of 2012, I had fun. We trained. We we uh, did boot camp classes at different parks around the city, and it was great. It was just one thing was missing. All my clients were having results, but they just didn't know what to eat afterwards. And for mm-hmm. me, you know, being a foodie already, I just was creative. Instead of making my Tower High chicken patty sandwiches, I just decided to make creative, healthier foods because. The stigma around healthy foods is it tastes like wood or it right. doesn't have any flavor or it's, or it's expensive, too. Mm-hmm. So I would make these affordable, healthy, delicious meals and just sell them after the workout. So people, people, you know, would yeah, – for me, I used it as just a marketing tool to say, hey, you know, social media, come to Getting Fire Tire Fitness. We got food afterwards, and, you know, that's just like mm-hmm. my way to people there. A year into the business – I realized that that need for food was way bigger than I thought. Like, for one, people don't cook as much as they used to. Chick- cooking in my family of a family of ten brothers and sisters, that's what my my parents did. They cooked, but a lot of people live faster lifestyles and don't have time to cook. And it just made sense to be like, all right, well, I can offer food. So, 2013, I started offering different 
salads and wraps and different stuff and people loved it. People loved the food more than they loved the workouts or whatever. And people <laughs> will people who love definitely eating over doing push ups and burpees. So I said, um, I noticed that and I said, Okay, well, how about I just, you know, branch off and do getting tired kitchen or whatever. So I would do that and have different meals. And one meal in particular was our sweet potato and black bean wrap. So I just had like in the whole wheat wrap, sweet potato and black bean with southwestern flavors. People loved it. And the foodie in me was like, you know what, this would be better if it was like in the egg roll or whatever. Yeah. So I put in an egg roll, I didn't deep fry it, I grilled it in healthier oils right away, and it was just a hit. Like my dad, who's the biggest carnivore of all time, you know, he probably lived with the dinosaurs, I'm sure. He he loved this food, and he's a steak and potato type of guy, loved his vegan meal. And at that moment, I say, you know what, if my dad loves it, anybody loves it. So right. I started selling the egg. It started off with egg rolls. I started using egg roll wrappers in the beginning and selling them just out of my house, super illegal. So the health department's listening. I'm so sorry. We'll straight legit now. Okay. <laughs> so, uh... I did that for like the whole summer of 2013, and you know, I just during the summertime. And then around 2014 came, more people were asking about the food and fitness still, and I realized that spring roll wrappers, like the flower spring roll wrappers, are cheaper than egg roll wrappers. So I switched over to spring rolls. So that summer, I got into like my first farmer's market. I only did like three or four, you know, and it, I just had an overwhelming response. And then he's still kind of selling out the house, whatever. Now, now I say, you know what? I need to make this into a real business because, for one, I was scared the health department was going to find me, throw me in jail, and hide the key or whatever. But I just knew that this could be something one day. So 2015 is when I said to myself, all right, I'm going to make this a real business. I got it uh, established as an LLC. I came up with the name Funky Fresh Spring Rolls just on a whim. I needed to name it something that was uh, – that it d- described as being something different, and the word funky just kind of came up, and I wanted a word to describe that it was fresh, healthier, and green. So just obviously fresh was there. So Funky Fresh Spring Rolls was created in 2015. We did um, like 20,000 spring rolls at the farmer's markets that season. 2016 has kept growing. Throughout the year, we did like 30,000 spring rolls. 2017 just kind of went to a new level. And we got into the FedEx competition, and we placed in the top ten in the country. We did like fifty thousand spring rolls, and today we are like already past that fifty thousand. We were like at seventy thousand spring rolls created this year, and we're marching on, trying to hit our peak and you know goal goal of mine is try to hit a hundred thousand spring rolls by the end of the year. Isn't that amazing? So did you? (laughs) Yeah, isn't that crazy? Like I bet you never thought. In the beginning, a hundred thousand spring rolls would have seemed like so many spring rolls, right? Yeah, I, I wouldn't fathom even where we at right now. I would, I never planned this. Mm-hmm. You know, this wasn't you know a goal or anything. It just kind of just flowed and morphed into something. I just kind of followed my gut and seen, seen it. And you know, I always felt like I was meant to do something amazing in life. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm doing it, I'm like, this is it. This is what mm-hmm. I was supposed to do. Yeah, isn't that something when we kind of get into the groove of things, you feel that way in life? Yeah. Yeah. And despite all the things that have have been difficult about this, right? I mean, it's it's never easy to start a business. Um, So, you know, and what people hear is all the great stuff, you know? Um, Yeah. But they don't, and it's hard to even fathom if you're not in in the whole thing you know i'm getting hungry thinking about your spring rolls now (laughs) (laughs) you know i was thinking like you know what it might be tough talking about some of the food i didn't get into some of the flavors not to make you more hungry but yeah uh, no but i think it's interesting why don't you talk a bit about that so so uh, because i think your flavors and just the the ingredients are really interesting too so we have so we we call our our core four, which is our most popular four, we have a buffalo chicken and kale, which has kale, it has spicy chicken, massage kale, jalapenos, Greek yogurt, and blue cheese. Mm-hmm. We have a chicken club, which is not so much new. Like, people have done chicken club spring rolls. Even people have done buffalo chicken, but, you know, we do a little thing to separate ourselves. But the uh, 
the chicken club has a ranch marinated chicken, turkey bacon, avocado, tomato, and mozzarella. And we have a chicken, broccoli, and mushroom. I do like a honey mustard baked chicken in it with uh, steamed broccoli, portobello mushrooms, and feta cheese, and then the sweet potato and black beans. That simple and those two ingredients with cilantro are our top four sellers. Some of the other flavors we have are like we have a chicken honey sriracha with asparagus. We have different breakfast rolls. We have chicken and chickpea curry and quinoa, like a vegetable, or we have a vegan and a protein version of that one. We have barbecue chicken, Fuji apple, so mostly chicken-based. Uh, we have a lot of vegan, vegetarian options, and, and um, I haven't gotten to any sweet flavors yet. Mm. I'm not. I'm not a. I, I'm not that I'm not a sweet person. I am wink, wink. But I'm not, <laughs> I don't like sweets the most. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. I can. I, I can imagine. Um, you know, if you're you're in a corporate environment and you're bringing food in for your team, and everybody's on a different diet. Um, I, your spring rolls, a range of your spring rolls would be such a perfect solution because there's something in oh, there for everybody. God, that's literally why I think our catering business is great because we have options for everybody. And mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the customers appreciate that. Like I know some businesses that don't target the vegetarian market at all, you know, and I'm like, how are you, you missing so much money? Like if we could figure out this gluten-free mystery, we really would be – on point, whatever, but uh, mm-hmm. we definitely mm-hmm. try to make it so that there's an option for everybody. If, you know, someone got allergies or, you know, they don't want cheese, we get we got rolls without cheese. We got rolls with, with none of our stuff contains any nuts or whatever, or so any, any, any people with nut allergies don't have mm-hmm. to worry. Only thing is just the gluten. But we do have salads and we do have different quinoa bowls and stuff like that, so for our restaurant at least. So do you still do farmer's markets? Yes. Like, I think that we won't, we won't ever stop doing farmer's markets. No matter how big this gets, I think the farmer's markets is so crucial for any food business to start. Because you get instant market research, you know, and thousands thousands of hits on it, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. it's a great – you know, you get to talk directly to your uh, customers or consumers and – you get to get feedback. You get to see right. the price point. You get to see which flavors people like or, you know, all these, you know, customer behaviors, you know, or even if it's hard to understand, you know, mm-hmm. um, right from the farmer's market, thousands of times per per week. You know, we do roughly five, four or five per week. But I think once we start getting more, like, brick and mortar locations, we won't do as many. Right. But we're going to still have a footprint in there. I would suggest, and I even see now some of the big players are starting to, you know, get back into the farmers market. That's where the people are. You know, people definitely, you know, come into the actual restaurants. You know, with with the Uber Eats and the Eat Streets. A lot of people are using those. You know, social camp or not social, but um, you know, these apps or whatever to get mm-hmm. the food to them. Yeah. And even just in general, the restaurant industry where people aren't going as many, as much anymore, um, I think it's important to do these type of events where people do come out often. I'd say the farmer's markets are, are at their peak now compared to 10 years ago. Yeah. Even though it, it hasn't, it, farmer's markets have morphed into more of just markets, you know, because it's, it's a lot of food options there. You know, just beyond yeah. the produce, there's a lot of other people's, crafts and stuff there so it's just become you know it almost morphed into something else too mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of a community thing you know building a community around the market in a way yeah. in in neighborhoods and stuff and who is your consumer like your target consumer our Could target you... consumer is is a woman um age 28 to 47 with a family who makes thirty thousand dollars plus a year? That's that's what I have on paper, at least. Mm-hmm, in my business mm-hmm. But in general, um, that's the outfit is pretty accurate. Even though we might have the twenty-two-year-old college kid who just loves buffalo chicken and kale spring rolls, or we might have the fifty-six-year-old grandma who, you know, 
so happen to love the chicken, broccoli, mushroom, or who's a vegan, vegetarian, whatever. So mm-hmm. that you know, uh, uh, definitely in our business plan, we we have a, a target customer, but um, it it, it kind of jumbles everywhere a little bit, a little bit of everywhere, you know. Yeah. But just with the with the research we've had, you know, the uh, the women have been. Uh, I think women in general are are the the buyers, the movers, and the shakers, and the trendsetters in food. You know, if it's you know the wife, she's making a lot of the food purchases. You know, for the family, or if it's the single mom, it's the the girlfriend, or even if she's single, no kids, no family, or whatever. There, I think a lot of the trends come from women. And they're, mm-hmm. they're definitely the, the trendsetters in in the food business, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're, so, so what I, I think is so interesting about y- your story, I mean, there's so many things that are interesting about it, but, but when I first met you, you were, um, you were talking, no, excuse me, you were talking a lot about wanting to have, you know, a frozen product at retail. And at the time, I think it was, I think it was about the time you had learned that you had been selected in that top 10 for the FedEx contest. Yeah. 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 It was really, yeah. it was like, I met you like a month or two before that time. Right. And I think my, you know, my original vision for this was just to get strictly into the grocery stores, you know, not, yeah. you know, just my thoughts were, you know, I got this product, it freezes great. It's amazing. I think if there's on every grocery store in the shelf or every grocery store in the country, people will love it, right? That's mm-hmm. just my initial thoughts before knowing anything about the food business. So, like, right. getting into it, the more research I did, the more I got got to understand the, the food game and the whole buyer game mm-hmm. and all that. It's, it's, it's a very difficult game to play. And, right, um, at retail. Just, yeah. You know, uh I don't know if you or Brad told me this, but you, you said that you, there's no grocery store just waiting for you, your product, right? It's, mm-hmm. The grocery, the shelves are already filled up. So if you're going to go into the shelf, who's going to come off, right? Or who's, you know, or who or going to get less of their product sold or whatever. So it's definitely a very competitive game, and I think, you know, I was headstrong on like frozen, frozen. Cause I, I know the restaurant game is very tough too, mm-hmm. and I I knew they consumes people, and I'm just like I don't want to, I don't want my life consumed by the restaurant or whatever. So I just pretty much had to be, um, and and I guess what my situation was in Milwaukee, there is no commercial kitchen. There's like one, it's like one commercial mm-hmm. kitchen to share, and it's not you're gonna be sharing with a restaurant or a church and. Anything is just, I had such a hard time at some of the um, commercial kitchens we shared. It's like, how do you even make money, you know? So the, the farmer's markets kept us alive. We do a lot of catering that kept us alive. So, you know, I, I developed a plan, to a, a strategy to get onto the grocery store shelves. But I, it just didn't make sense because it wouldn't be no constant cash flow going on. We'd be playing this, this right. 30 net 60 games or whatever. Right, right. And, and we had an opportunity to move into the Grand Avenue Mall. And even though the mall in general is struggling, we, we still would be able to, like, sell for a decent lunch crowd. I, like, literally went to the Grand every day for, like, two weeks just to kind of check, check out. Check it out, yeah. But, yeah, for two straight weeks mm-hmm. every day, different times throughout the day, and counted people, see, you know, then looked at the demographic of the women, men, or or, or mm-hmm. the people, or our customer, our customer, our target customer, and then um, the it was just a great opportunity for us at the time, and even and though the, also they're doing, and the lease rate is is really good, right? I mean, yeah, the, yeah the because lease was good, yeah, yeah, and because they are gonna you're gonna go into construction now, yeah, right. That's supposed to be happening in the next couple of months. Well, we had mm-hmm. an opportunity to. I utilized the space from April to essentially to November. And right. I said, you know what, instead of paying as much at a commercial kitchen, we could just see how it is to run a restaurant. And, you know, it was mm-hmm. definitely a risk because, you know, the restaurant could, you know, you could put all this money into a restaurant and it could, just for it to close in eight months. 
Right. But what we've done is we've we've broadened our brand and we've um, made relationships with the grand that when they reopen up next year, that we're going to be part of that next phase. So it, it worked out. It, like literally as early as this January, we were still planning on getting our frozen product into the shelves. And it just didn't sit well with me. Like, literally, my gut would be like, oh, it would hurt me physically to try to make this move mm -hmm. until the, the opportunity grand came. And I just said, this feels right. And we yeah. Took it. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? So, um, so my understanding is that you have been selling like crazy in the mall. Yes. It's, it, it's definitely exceeded my expectations for, mm -hmm. for, um, what I what I had originally planned. Like I thought that we'll you know, we'll sell a decent amount for the lunch hours and we still could prep for our catering job, our farmers markets, you know, even sales frozen at a small retail, but mm -hmm. we, there's no way we could sell any frozen rolls because they just kind of fly off the shelf. So we've went from doing essentially 8,000 spring rolls a month to we we do about 3,000 spring. We we do about 8 we used to do about 8. Now we're like at 15 a month with the store and everything so yeah it's it's definitely picked up we hired a lot more people and i think the, the overall plan is to eventually get back into the frozen game but yeah may, maybe i'm like i said i'm pushing it back to 20 late 2019 early at 20 i'm gonna just say early, early 2020 at the earliest and that's mm -hmm. very small level yeah so people i mean these spring rolls I got to tell you, they, they're awesome. They are so that the flavors are just so great um, and and unusual. And yeah, I can totally see working in an office building and going to get them for lunch. Right. So is that yeah. typically who's coming into the store to the restaurant? Yeah. So at the downtown location, um, it's I'll say 90 percent. You know, people from surrounding buildings. They got Wheat Energies down here. They got Chase Bank. Mm -hmm. They got the Federal Building. They got the Wells Fargo. So all these office spaces and more. They come into the food court. You know, which the food court at the Grand is like literally has three options. But they come for us, and we get a lot of you know our customers from around the city to come too. So nice. it's, it's definitely been great. And um, we we're looking at expanding into another location within the next couple of months. I'm not sure if you heard about that yet. No, well, tell us. So um, it's this uh, project called the Sherman Phoenix uh, project, and uh, what it is is a couple of years ago in Milwaukee, it was an unfortunate incident with uh, a, a shooting with uh, a police officer and a young man. Oh, right, and, yeah. Yeah, and, and the city just kind of. Or that that side of the city just exploded. Yeah, just riots and was all type of unfortunate things that happened. And one of the things that happened was this BMO Harris Bank uh, got set on fire. So mm. um, some friends of mine, Joanne Sabir of the Juice Kitchen and Julie Kaufman, a local developer, there they and along with like this uh, football player named DeAndre Levy, they came and they um, bought this bank and then they're going to turn it into like an entrepreneurial hub for small businesses to uh, ex expand their business. So it's going to be like uh, an, almost like a north side uh, Milwaukee public market but with uh, so much more and we're, we're thankful to be part of that project which is opening um, I think around November. So we're going to have a smaller footprint there. It should be like a kiosk size funky mm, friend. Nice. That would be that would be our second location. So the plan would be for us to, we're going to rent a commercial kitchen inside there, and we're going to um, make the food in the commercial kitchen and, like, just transport it to the kiosk throughout mm -hmm. the day to mm -hmm. you know, have, a, have another location. So mm -hmm. that's, that's, so that's kind that's, of what you're going to do in between. How long, in the Grand Avenue plan, how long are you going to be without, uh, you know, without that location? So they're going to probably happen around the same time. So the round time that Sherman Phoenix is going to start, the grand location is going to shut down, and that's going to be shut down for roughly nine months, nine to 12 months. Okay. Then they're, going to, they're going to reopen that next year as office space, apartment space, and they're going to have the food hall with, like, 20 other food mm -hmm. businesses. Um, I think we're 
one of the first businesses to sign on to be part of the renovations. Nice, nice. Well, yeah, yeah. So are you, um, is it mostly takeout that you're getting or are people sitting? Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting. We've we've moved into this fast casual space. Yeah. Fast food, but we're in the same space as, a Qdoba or Chipotle mm-hmm. or new right. company where they sell more premium foods to go, but there's something I didn't expect too. Like I didn't, I didn't know how that's going to work as far as like, should we make them to order? Should we make mm-hmm. them, you know? But everybody's only lunch break; they want it quick. So we've we've developed a, a strategy where we could kind of cook them and uh, reheat them to temperature, and it, people get people in and out in two to three minutes. Nice. So we we're officially a freaking food, uh, fast casual business, which I, nice. I, I that always just scared me, but I have to accept it. You know, people just kind of seen us as, as such, and that's that's. But your that's pro- what we are. Yeah, and your product is so perfect for that, right? I mean, if you think yeah. about it, it's like it's a different version of Chipotle, right? What you do in a way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, where we have, you know, like I said, fresh premium ingredients. Yeah. Um, and on the go, you could get in Chipotle in and out. You could be out in five minutes. And right. That's the idea, too, of having, you know, it's not many options, you know, healthier options that you could go to and get in and out and, you know, in comparable time to a McDonald's or our friends at Wendy's. <laughs> sure, right, exactly, exactly. No, not a lot of options. So, yeah. so have you, has your brain started to imagine like, like funky fresh spin rolls all over the country? Well, I will say that it was one point where I was like heavily uh, invested into the future where that's all I thought about or whatever. Uh-huh. But now that I, now I know that it's, it's going to happen. I just need to take care of the little things, right? So I'm, uh-huh. I'm more focused on taking care of the small things from, you know, creating a system. Like uh, a friend of mine over the weekend, he gave me an amazing acronym. I think some of your listeners will appreciate this. But he said, we have to create ourselves a system. And that's, the acronym for system is saving yourself time, energy, and money. Right? Nice. So that hit mm-hmm. me. That, whoa. That was powerful, right? So Yeah. You know, creating these systems and getting a lot of these little small thoughts and techniques out of my head and getting them on paper and getting other employees and other key individuals to, um, you know, get those things that's in my head and, and run with it, you know. So that that's pretty much my focus rather than, like, oh, I want to – yeah, I have 47 you know, stores. stores. Yeah. I want to so, n- nail out yeah. store number one and keep yeah. doing yeah, well, in the the any the franchise people will tell you that um, the trick to having a franchisable business is getting those systems in place and having three of them, and then you start being interesting for as a franchise. Mm-hmm. Business, you know, so how many employees do you have now? So now we have twelve employees. Wow. Twelve employees, you know, um, and people from. You know, I say that our most of our employees are like younger indiv- individuals, food business mm-hmm. stuff. But we're we're in a great place where we could, you know, definitely hire some key individuals who could make a little bit more money and could take on more responsibility to help this business grow. Mm-hmm. You know, and me, me, from me not having zero restaurant experience, I've never worked in a restaurant. I went right from high school to construction. So. Right. Right. And I played sports all the time in high school. So I never really had the, the experience of working fast for anything. But it's I think my learning learning curve is so big for me because I'm so excited about it, and uh, you know I'm I'm not afraid to make the mistakes. And the mistakes and the lessons is you know where where you learn or the mistakes right. and losses. You know losses are I don't even call them losses. I call them lessons. You know. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where the building is going to come from, and just not quitting. All of the cliche things that you know people told us is actually true. That it just kind of isn't that crazy. It's like the, the <laughs> simple, the simplest things that people say. That's it. And you know what it is is we can't fathom it being that easy. And it's, it, or excuse me, we can't fathom it being that simple. 
Right. But it is simple, but it, it was not easy, but it's very simple. Right, right. I get it. I get it. So now you have 12 employees, and um, that I bet you never imagined that either when you started. No, like... I, I, you know, and that, and that's, I would say this, the employee part is something I'm definitely still struggling with because I've just never fathomed that. So now we got employees, of, you know, actually managing people. Right. Um, just trying to, you know, become a good leader, you know. I feel like it's mm-hmm. very similar to coaching wrestling, so I was good at that. But um, it's a little different, you know, um, with with um, having employees and and trying to relate things to them and everybody learns differently and and it, it's such it's so dynamic with with working with other people it's definitely times where i just feel, feel like um ripping out my hair which i don't have any already so yeah. <laughs> it's gonna i just i'm super stressed out but at the same time it's it's very good to know that you know something that you just created from nothing you're teaching other people the skill and i always you know one thing i pounded to our employees heads is it's not just my business. It's everyone's business. It's not mm-hmm. like I have thousands of dollars sitting around and everyone's going to get paid on time and everything. Like you, you, you literally see the, your effect of the business. Like we have a open bookkeeping policy where people can see everything, mm-hmm. and I want them to see that because I want them to see how important you are to the business. Like if you killing it and you working hard and you, you know, you coming on time and you're executing, and you're being able to produce fast. You you be able to see the benefit of that compared to the opposite. If you're not coming on time and you're not showing up or you're not getting any production done, you can see our labor costs and all of that. And I always tell people like your value here compared to at like said Chipotle. If you're mm-hmm. killing it at Chipotle, you know that that Chipotle's brand, you know, won't see the effect as much. Like maybe that store may mm-hmm. see it, but at the end of the day, if you're sick, they can replace you. Right mm-hmm. compared to us. If you're killing it with us and you're, you know, doing great things, like our brand increases. You could, you could literally see it a lot faster than any big business. But on the flip side, if you're not killing it, it could hurt our brand too. So it, so finding these, you know, employees has been very tough. We definitely got a group of uh, good, loyal people who are excited about learning and I'm looking, steady looking for more people who, who has that passion, who want to see, mm-hmm. who want to be something part part of something special yeah and so do you think that it that open book philosophy that you just described do you think that helps with or are there some people who just don't you know they say nope I don't really care about that this is not a good fit for me but then there are other people who are just all over it it's some people that I say it's more people that care than that that don't care uh-huh some people just like you know I just I don't care I just want to go to work and right and go home which I get, but at the same time, you know, I'm looking for individually, at least now, I'm looking, I, I want our culture to be that everyone cares about the business. Everyone, you know, our mission statement is to provide amazing food and great customer service, you know, and I, I want people that's, that understands our vision and our mission and who, who actually cares, you know. If not, then you can get a job anywhere, you know, and I'm fine with that. I've become more of a, um, more brash like that like no if you don't care then you know what you can go to chipotle or whatever i want the people who's going to care a little bit more and i and i believe that they're out there you understand that that may be shooting shooting for the stars and some people just want to make money but i truly believe that there are people out there who who are like me who want to be something part of something special and whether if you want to be an entrepreneur or not i i want to be involved with people who think like entrepreneurs and and understand, you know, what we got. And I think it's it's so relatable because a lot of times we what we think of an entrepreneur, at least when I was a kid, I just thought of, of someone who's already rich and hmm. who just, you know, threw his money around to make it happen rather than, you know, the guy scrubbing the floor right next to you. you know, right, exactly. He did the dirty work and that stuff that I definitely have done. You know, mm-hmm. the funny story is guy recently – was, you know, just walking past the store. He's like, man, I'm so proud of you, man. That's, what you got going is awesome, man. He said, I can't wait till I, I win a lottery so so I can start my own business. Yeah. <laughs> like, Isn't that I said, funny? Whoa. I said, well, that's not the way it happens. I said, man, it was a point where all I had was uh, a mason jar to my 
to my name, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it's full of change. And I had to make a change. <laughs> right. Isn't that amazing? It's such a, it's such an interesting, it's an interesting cultural thing, right? That, um, that people think that to start something like this, you have to have a lot of money first, right? Yeah. And they also, I think we have this, this story about entrepreneurship culturally right now that it's very glamorous and we seem what is missing out of that is just how much work and dedication it takes. Work, dedication, and sacrifice. You know, yeah. I don't think you, I don't think you, you get into being a business owner. You don't face some sort of sacrifice. Right. And I think you know my sacrifice was you know, time sacrifice. I have a, a son who's eight. I, I just had a daughter recently. Oh, congratulations! Yeah. she's four months old. Lola. Hey, Lola, if you hear this one day, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Truman, too. If y'all if you listen to this, I love you too. Okay. Yeah. So, you no, know, that sacrifice of not not seeing my family as much as I would like to. Yeah. You know, that's tough. Then that goes back to well, I've been doing this now. I know that I need to create these systems and stuff like that, right? So, mm-hmm. um, yes, it, the, the the glamorous entrepreneur life is one side of the coin. You know, what a lot of people don't see is the you know hundred hour weeks or right. The the time where you're thinking like, oh my god, am I gonna be able to make payroll? Right. Is, is, is people gonna, you know, buy our food this week or you know all the different doubts we may have or whatever. But mm-hmm. for me to get through that, any entrepreneurs listening, um, another one of my favorite books was um called uh, The Alchemist, and he pretty much is a quote in The Alchemist that says, whenever you you want to achieve something all of the universe conspires to help you and I, I believe that to be true no matter what your religious beliefs are or whatever it don't matter you know i just know that whatever whatever if it's something bigger than us whatever that is to always kind of help us to to get to the next point of our life which ultimately is going to lead to success mm-hmm. right so uh, along the way, who has been helping you? Because I think one of the things that um, that entrepreneurs um, tell me over and over again is that their success, part of what they had to learn was um, to surround themselves with, with um, people who could help them grow their business. So, and I know you've worked oh, with a bunch of people. So, yeah, why don't you talk about so that? So many people. Mm-hmm. This is going to sound like a, a thank you speech at an award show, but yeah, that's true. okay. <laughs> um, so one of the first people that helped me was a guy named Jim Dallet with Score. Mm-hmm. Score dot org. Are you familiar with Score? Yep, absolutely. So uh, I got a Score mentor, and he just helped me in general when I was doing the fitness business. Then um, we've had um, uh, like a friend of mine named Ben Askren. He's been very helpful. Um, other other food businesses along the way of like food trucks and foodies that I kind of just reach out to is a whole plethora of them. Cheryl Mitchell with the uh, Small Business Development Council has probably been one of the most uh, helpful people. She's like, and she's not only just a mentor, she's like a therapist too. No, oh, good. So I, I, would, I would go into her office like, I'm ready to quit, Cheryl. And she, you know, figure out a plan and been helpful um brad so, and everybody at fab has been so amazing mm-hmm. part of our, our our business um so many like so many i was even you you know like mm-hmm. some of the early conversations we had or just you know being inspired by your story you know mm-hmm. like it's been you know amazing so yeah a lot of definitely a lot of people yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I want to go back to what you said about Cheryl because I think it goes along with people look from the outside at entrepreneurs and think how glamorous their life is and don't understand about the work. They also, you don't understand about the stress of it. I don't think, um, and yeah. I think everybody needs to find their way. Um, to cope with the stress of being an entrepreneur, and one of the one of the ways is to have somebody to talk to and who knows something about business and who can help you, you know, sort of 
take the emotions out of it a little bit for a while and, and come up with a plan. And it sounds like Cheryl's doing that kind of coaching with you. Yeah, everybody needs a Cheryl Mitchell. In yeah. <laughs> Seriously, like, um, she's been really great as far as, you know, actually knowing about the business and sending a lot of resources. Like, Cheryl's directly responsible for the FedEx competition, so she she sends a bunch of emails like, hey, you should apply for this, you should do this okay. and that, and I'm like, literally, I'm always applying for stuff, so I, she sent me the information about the FedEx competition, I applied for it. We got uh, accepted, and I just went to, you know, I did the rest and hustled and got put in the top ten. So, and then that, from that competition, we've made so many connections from not only with FedEx, with it, it, it kind of established us as uh, a, a reputable, reputable business. Like if you got, of course, yeah, billion, a billion dollar company like FedEx that's backing you, then. People are going to take it a little bit serious, and like I said, with the FedEx competition, it was huge. So, you know. What, when you what, got, when that, that competition, excuse me, um, can you talk about, because you flew to, they flew you to Memphis, right? Yeah. Like, how yeah, did that all work? Memphis. So, you know, we, we, first they gave, you know, they gave us like a $7,500 grant. They gave us $1,000 in FedEx supplies. Nice. Here, you know, and that was huge, but even bigger than the money was, the the opportunities and the connections we made like so they flew us out to Memphis and we um, we met with you know everybody in FedEx all of the different departments they have and they had a couple different uh, strategy sessions and social marketing and scaling sessions and all these different sessions we had and then um, what was amazing to me is we did a tour of the FedEx, like, uh, global hub. And for oh, one, FedEx, cool. FedEx employs 60% of people in Memphis. 60%? Is, Holy cow. 60%. Oh. So that's crazy. So six that's out of every crazy. 10 people work at FedEx. Yeah. That's crazy. So then, too, we got to see, like, a little bit behind the scenes of all of the different, you know, we, we got to see this map that was, like, the size of this giant wall, like a... Imagine a 60 by 40 wall. Mm-hmm. I mean, that may be exaggerated. Maybe it's like 60 by 20. It was huge. And it was, a, it was a map of the world, and it showed where all of the planes were in real time. No, how cool is that? Right. You get to see all of the, like, literally all of the flights, and you can see, like, some of the areas where, like, no fly zone. It's just amazing. And oh. then this, um, the... You know, their culture. Like everybody's important in FedEx. Like they make everybody feel like they're important. Which they are. Mm-hmm. And and one of the guy who gave us the tour kinda talked about this the story of uh J F K and this janitor when they went to um they was like at the NASA space mm-hmm. whatever space center or whatever. And uh uh I guess J F K must have asked this guy a question, like, Hey, how's it going? What are you doing? whatever and the guy was like He's mopping the floor, but he said, "Hey, I'm, I'm helping the guy get to the moon, right?" Mm. So he he took that approach of just because he's mopping the floor, he's just as important part of everybody um, along the mission, you know. And mm. that's the culture they have. Like, no matter if you're a handler, you're a production manager, manager, they're all part of the big the big goal. And and kudos to their. CEO, I think his name is Fred Smith, and mm-hmm. and they started small, just like any FedEx was a small business at one time. You know, like mm-hmm. most businesses, every business started off as a small business. So, I believe that you know, small businesses are everything. You know, I forgot the number of how many people are employed by small businesses in the country, but we we the drivers and the movers and the shakers. You know, so that that motivated me to just be like. Man, I could do this. We could get to, we could get to the moon with. Fat, we could put Funky Fresh on the moon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's my goal. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, the hell with just five hundred stores. I'm going to the moon. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, so um, boy, we've we've followed this journey um, from the beginning all the way up to where you are now. Have we missed anything? I can just kind of talk about where where we're going from now. Like a, like our plan, like I said, we got the Sherman Phoenix coming up soon this year. 
next year we're going we got the food hall coming um what, what i think our next big step within the next 18 months is we want to purchase a building and create like a funky fresh factory where mm-hmm. we could you know mass produce our rolls you know get some more commercial equipment and produce at a higher volume but then also um if we had like a small small storefront or retail aspect where people could still get our rolls fresh hot ready to go or whatever and um then we can slowly start talking to get into the frozen manufacturing space where we could get into some of these smaller outposts and woodmans and all of those stores like that and you know continue that that's like my eighteen month plan at least for getting that the funky fresh fun factory mm-hmm the funky so we're, fresh we're in the pro- factory. i love it yeah yeah Wait, we're we're in, we're in talks with a couple of locations now or a couple of buildings so we'll see how that goes yeah yeah i you know for some reason when you said that it conjured up willy wonka chocolate factory you know did you yeah you ever read that's, my, that's you read my idea yeah 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 that's, that's my idea you know i love willy wonka that's one of my favorite movies you know as a kid you know like yeah. that with food but it's fun and you know you got to see this guy produce all this you know, just something. Willie Wonka, Willie Wonka was the first Funky Fresh. He's definitely funky at what he did, and and people loved it. You know, so mm-hmm. I would love to have some sort of factory where we, you know, even if people came and got tours, and you know, I could do my own little version of a golden ticket and mm-hmm. get people Very some tours, cool. and some Funky Fresh flavors. Yeah, yeah, that's terrific. That is awesome. Well, um, we're going to stay in touch with you because um, you're on such a um, such an amazing journey at the moment. It's going to be great to um, see what can happen along the way. Yeah, I'm I'm very super excited. And um, it's it's one thing I did want to say, too, though, about just the whole journey process of uh, I, I, I just call it collecting pennies, you know, um, like for example, this this conversation we're having is like collecting pennies. So I, I mentioned something earlier about uh, all I have is a mason jar, you know, to my name at one point, and that in that mason jar I went to when I didn't have anything, and all I had was all of those pennies I collected over time. And I I remember one moment where I took the mason jar in. I needed to. I didn't have anything, no money to even feed my kid, and. I got like eighty dollars worth of change, you know. And mm-hmm. when I looked at it, it didn't look like that much, but um, I got eighty dollars. And I think that same day, I dropped it. I was taking it into the bank. I seen a person leave a bunch of change at the register or whatever, and the lady and the uh, banker was like, "Hey, you you forgot some change." He's like, "Oh, it's only a couple pennies. It's not worth anything." And I think mm-hmm. we look at little look look at pennies at being such little value that they're not worth anything, but if you collect them over time, you know, you could get $80 worth of pennies. And that $80, you know, I turned it in and got food and or got food to make, and, and I sold like $400 worth of spring rolls from the $80, you know. So mm-hmm. I look at little situations in life that, you know, I might get some advice from Cheryl Mitchell or from Brad or from any of my mentors. I might make some mistakes and lessons or whatever. And um, these are all collecting pennies, but they're going to give me a lot of value, a lot of knowledge throughout my journey. And even though it might be a little instance, or I might just get, you might say something to me and it it might not seem much, it might be worth a penny, but um, all these thoughts and experiences we collect throughout our lives, they become valuable. So. Yeah, yeah, no, and actually, your thing about the pennies makes me think there is one other thing I want to talk with, talk to you about, which is about how you funded the growing of your business. So it sounds like in the beginning it was your mason jar, and now it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. and you got a, so, and you got an award from FedEx. And how else have yeah. you done it? So we 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 got a Kiva loan. Uh-huh. Uh, it helped us out. Kiva got us yeah. like five grand for some startup capital. A lot of bootstrapping. Uh, I actually picked up an investor in 2016, and we got like a very small equity. Uh, we gave a little bit of equity of our business just for some startup capital to help mm-hmm. get like a van, get 
you know, all of our farmers market stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, that along with you know, like I said, fags winning. We were we were in this competition called Rev Up MKE, where um, it's like a local version of a Shark Tank, and we yeah. got um, five thousand from that. So just getting to other, you know, getting into competitions and any any opportunities we could to get any sort of funding, like we was for, like even with the Fab organization, Fab. Yeah. Even even though that was more recently, it still goes towards the business and you know getting other opportunities for us to get money you know that way. Cause I don't mm-hmm. that's the, that's the biggest thing. Everybody's like, how do you do it? How do you figure out? And there there are definitely ways. You know, what I'm saying like with the, the Kiva, I, I, that would be my first first step as far as getting you know mm-hmm. some, getting some money or even doing like a social campaign. Or, oh, f- so for the store. What we did is like a, a we did a version of Kickstarter, but since with Kickstarter you don't if you don't reach your goals you don't get none of the money. Mm-hmm. So what we did is we ran into our our we did like a my version of a Kickstarter. We just ran it through our website and used Square Squarecard and we we had different uh, tiers for like if you donated twenty five dollars you get a or pledge twenty five dollars you get a. Uh, funky fresh mug or if you play $50 to get a shirt or you know stuff like that and um we did that we raised like uh six grand or something like that nice to our just our to our existing fan base you know mm-hmm. every everybody that pledged money got to be on this little plaque that said hey you help i call it the funky fresh nation plaque and mm-hmm. everybody's name on there is like directly responsible for um helping with the business so um, you know, like I reached out to our customer, our, our existing customers, to help raise money, and you know, mm-hmm. just being creative and finding ways, finding ways to get funding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, that was such a great thing about that location because it already had a kitchen in it. You know, it was like yeah. ready for you to go into. It, it was, was literally, it was pretty turnkey. We had to do like some minor re- repairs. They had mm-hmm. walk-in, they had walk-in coolers and walk-in freezers, and had you know double convection ovens. And I pretty much raised the money to buy all the equipment from the existing business. Oh, and, okay, um, got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and now you've got great cash flow, right? Because people come in. That's that is the good thing about a business like you've got now. <laughs> yeah, we we got constant cash flow where we could you know take care of our you know, any invoices and take care of payroll and pay taxes and, mm-hmm. all, you know, all of that. So it's it's definitely good. It's definitely, I still do look at our bottom line and I want to increase, obviously, but, you know, increasing with integrity too, not giving up, um, not not giving up the quality to, to make a, a dime, you know. Mm-hmm. That, and this is a good point too. I just had experience recently I won't say the business's name, but I went to a, a certain restaurant, and um, like I haven't been in about a year and a half. So last time I went, it was great. The food was great. The service was okay, but the food was amazing. So I went over the weekend, and uh, me and a friend, I'm just telling him, like, oh, they got some of the best wings or the best whatever, and they changed owners. And you could tell right away, like they changed the recipe, they changed the the menu, like it was a lot mm-hmm. smaller, which I get, I understand that. But when I seen the food, the presentation was different, and the taste was way different. And I'm just like, before I even asked them, I'm like, did y'all change the recipe? They're like, no, no. I said, did y'all change owners? They said, yeah. And I said, that was it. And mm-hmm. see that that business I went to a year and a half ago on a Saturday night packed when I went. This weekend, it was literally six people in there. And this is a place no. that has over 100 seats. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. So I, I learned the lesson from that. My lesson was, you know, stick to what, what got you there. You know, don't don't chase uh, a penny and lose lose your integrity, you know, mm-hmm. or lose, you know, lose what got you there. You right. Know? And, you know, find out, find ways, find creative ways to definitely – Increase your bottom line, but also keep the quality of your product. Mm-hmm. You know, because your name is everything. You yep. know, if your name, you know, I heard a story at one of the Fab events about Slits Brewing, why why they went down, or they were number one in, in the country, and then they changed the recipe, and slowly 
people got word of it, and then when they tried to go back, it was too late. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you keep um, taking care of that Funky Fresh brand and food, um, and we'll be um, staying in touch with you over time because it's going to, you're just at the beginning of a really great story here. Yeah. Yeah. I th- I'm I'm confident of that. So, hey, it's been great to talk with you today. And great. We'll, yeah, great. I, yeah. I have to say one more thing. One oh, more thing. of course. I, it's, it's, it's my absolute pleasure to be on this show. Let me tell you, this is actually a dream of mine. Like, I've, I've, I don't want to sound weird, but I wrote this out on my vision board to be on your podcast. No, how fun. So when you gave me the call, I'm like literally – Eyes watering. I like call my girlfriend. Like, Can you believe this happened? Really? I, I listened to your podcast and enjoyed, you know, some great episodes. And to actually be on this, be on this podcast and be able to, you know, uh, maybe inspire someone else is just like uh, I'm over the moon right now. Oh, so thank you, Truman. Sarah, for this well. Uh, thank you. Um, and yeah, that's amazing about your vision board. Yeah, we do manifest things in life, don't we? Yeah. 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 Well, you take care and we will be following you. All right. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.